Is it uh, Give It Up by Casey and the Sunshine Band? Isn't it the best song ever written, isn't it? Isn't it? I think so anyway. Bob Dylan had to be prevented from slitting his wrists when he heard it. That's right. Hey, how are you? It's uh, the 12th of December 2022. It's Monday's Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Hope you've had a nice weekend. Whatever you were getting up to, I've a good show for you, I think, today. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Now, I'm sure that some of our listeners will be aware of Alex Mitchell. Alex was was in a documentary recently about vaccine injuries. He's a Scottish gentleman and uh, a really good bloke. I reached out to him on social media and asked him to come on and talk about uh, his experience of COVID jabs, what happened to him and what he's doing about that going forward. So Alex will be on the programme a little bit later on. Looking forward to chatting with Alex. And during the Sunday music program yesterday, Eva uh, reached out to me. Eva, I think. Eva phoned in the program actually about a year or two ago. But she reached out to me yesterday and told me about um, how she raises her children without tech, without smartphones and iPads, without television. She's a really interesting woman. And I thought, these being the times we're in, I would invite her on for a chat. So she'll be on with me this hour for a good old chinwag about parenting parental stuff you don't want to miss that as usual if you'd like to join in you can do so via my website it's richieallen.co.uk and it says comment live on the menu bar use the comment live feature to chat with me during the program and if you're an england fan you might still be a bit down in the dumps apparently after saturday night england were knocked out of the world cup in the quarterfinal stage and i'm an irishman and, and many people don't believe me i don't know why that is uh, but I would always root for England in the event that Ireland are not in the tournament. And lately, we've not often been in the tournament, really. Excuse me. I think 2016 was the last time we qualified for a major. So I would have been cheering England. And I was indeed cheering England on Saturday. Yeah, so a hard lines for England. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's cold, isn't it? It's just occurred to me. It's cold. Um, I've done something today that I have never done previously. We have been in this property for just over three years now, three and a half years in fact, and I have never put the heating on in the studio. Honestly, not a single time I've never done that. In fact, I had to put an aircon unit in the studio for the heat, for to keep it cool and all the equipment and everything. So today... I put it on for the first time just before coming on air. I'm a pretty warm-blooded dude, you see. I don't really feel the cold, but it is cold. It's so bloody cold, I haven't seen me willy since I got out of the shower at 8 o'clock this morning. It's cold, it's bloody cold, yeah. More on the cold shortly. I see Dave Lee Travis is trending on Twitter. Dave Lee Travis, I bet you you don't know who he is, if you're outside the UK. So he's trending on Twitter, I checked it out and... He's still alive, oh. I don't mean that, really. The the hairy cornflake. Travis was one of those blood-on-the-carpets DJs. Many years ago, the 
the there was a big clear out at BBC Radio One, a huge clear out. All the cliched Muppet DJs were all sacked in the one day. People like Dave Lee, Travis and Noel Edmonds were all given the boot. Tony Blackburn, get out, you cliched monsters. And off they went, smashy and nicey and all of that. But uh, yeah, he's still alive, Dave Lee Travis. He's alive and well. He's alive and well. You didn't happen to see who wants to be a millionaire last night, did you? Jeremy Clarkson. There was an Irish guy on it, Mick from Dublin. Won a million pounds. A million pounds. I thought that programme had ceased to, to be. I thought that programme had been cancelled. Chris Tarrant used to do it when I when I watched it many moons ago. But an uh, Irish guy won a million quid. That's good for the Irish. <laughs> or it's good for Mick from, from Dublin anyway. He got to the final question and he only had one lifeline left. He had the phone a friend lifeline, which is unusual. And Jeremy Clarkson says to him, wow, you've got this question coming up for a million and the only lifeline you have left is the is the phone-a-friend lifeline. Do you want to have a look at the one million pound question? And Mick says, sure, I'll have a go at it. Come on, show me the question. So Jeremy Clarkson says to him, which of the following birds does not build its own nest? Now, I thought that was particularly easy for a million pound question and it probably proves that it really is random coming out of the computer. So he says to Mick Clarkson, which of the following birds doesn't build its own nest, does not? A sparrow, B thrush, C magpie, D cuckoo. And amazingly enough, your man says, I think I know it, says Mick, but I'm not entirely sure, so I'll use me final lifeline and I'll phone even my friend Paddy Murphy back in Dublin. So Clarkson phones up Paddy Murphy, says hello to him and tells him that Mick is doing well. Uh, he's going to ask you a question with four possible answers and you'll have 30 seconds and then Clarkson hands it to Mick in the studio. Right, Paddy, says Mick, which of the following birds does not build its own nest? A sparrow, B thrush, C magpie, D cuckoo. Without even giving it a second thought, uh, Paddy says, uh, it's simple, it's cuckoo. Cuckoo, that's it, definitely you've won um, whatever money you've won it. Are you sure, says Mick? I'm absolutely bloody sure, says Paddy. And they hung up. And Mick says to Jeremy Clarkson, I'll tell you what then, he says, I'll go with cuckoo as my final answer. And it all goes dark then and atmospheric. Next thing, Clarkson screams out, you've won, you've won a million pounds. Fantastic, cuckoo is the correct answer. So this morning, Mick got back to Dublin, went around to Dicey Riley's to buy a couple of pints of Guinness for Paddy. And he says, Paddy, how did you get it so quickly? How in heaven's name did you know it was the cuckoo that doesn't build its own nest? And Paddy said, because it lives in a fucking clock. garbage i know but it's monday it's monday i'm trying to improve the mood <laughs> what do you make of the hysteria over the weather i i wonder please tell tell me we i mean we've had it before haven't we doesn't it often get very cold in the winter in the uk you know doesn't it it often snows for a week doesn't it and then the snow melts away and it goes back to being dull and gray and I'm asking the question, how could the snow cause such disruption in this country? How has it been allowed to cause such a disruption? Tailbacks on motorways, people having to spend the night in their cars. 
Yeah, and local hostelries, local pubs and restaurants staying open all night to, very kindly now, it must be said, to to welcome in the poor creatures who would otherwise have had to stay in their car all night in the cold. Something is a bit off about this. I don't know. You tell me. But why? They, they knew. I remember them talking two weeks ago. By they, I mean the good young men and women at Her Majesty's Meteorological Service. You know, they were talking about this Arctic spell, this Arctic cold snap. They were talking about it a fortnight out. How could they not prevent it jamming up the motorways? You, you have to wonder, don't you? You have to wonder. And speaking of chaos, the Just Stop Oil dipsticks are back out. I suppose it's a, it's a daily thing now. It's not as if they they do it once or twice and then they disappear. It's every day now, Just Stop Oil, this pressure group, as it describes itself, which wants to get the government to commit to signing no more new oil and gas contracts ever again to save the planet from the climate crisis, which will turn us all into fireballs in our own homes by 2041. So they've been out on the roads again, blocking cars. And uh, drivers are losing their tempers. And it's getting worse. And I did say this, and I do not want to be proved right. Someone is going to die. A driver is going to lose it, is going to floor it, and kill two or three of these people. And please God, I hope that does not happen. Or a driver is going to get out of a car, belt one of these goons across the head. They're going to have an awkward fall and they're going to end up in a coma, and it's going to be terrible. Because the anger. And the police, of course, are doing nothing. I see a guy on social media today in a little video getting out of his Tesla. I mean, this is vaudeville, this. He gets out of his Tesla, and he starts screaming at the protesters. I'm fucking electric. Let me through. I'm doing my bid for the planet. And they wouldn't part the the wall to allow the guy with the Tesla through. And they said to him, what's all about disruption? It's all about disruption. So the guy had to get back into his car. The police told him, this guy in the Tesla, um, our hands are tied. Now, their hands are not tied. It is against the law to block a public highway, obstruct a public highway. It is against the law to do that. I've looked into this, but they're allowing them to do it. Yeah, they allow the motorways to get all jammed up with snow. And you just wonder, don't you? Call me a crazy conspiracy theorist, if you like. Yeah, one of the Aegis put a high-vis jacket on a snowman. They're having a great time of it, the Just Stop Oil activists. You wonder, what do they do for a living, these people? Why are they not at work? What's going on there? And it's a dreadful story doing the rounds today. You've seen this. It's horrible. It's, it's, it's only mentionable for a programme like this because of the reaction to it. You know that in Solihull... In the Midlands, you know that three boys have died and another one is critically ill after they fell through ice into a lake in a park, in a country park, and they were recovered and taken to hospital, but not in time to save three of the lads anyway. They're young lads. It's a dreadful thing. You wouldn't wish it on anybody. You really wouldn't. But what's with the police and the fire um, chiefs? holding press conferences at the scene. What's that all about? I mean, I understand the public interest in so far as, like, you'd want to tell people, keep your children away from ice on water because this isn't 
the Arctic. This isn't far-flung northern Europe or Russia. It isn't cold enough here for the ice to become thick enough for you to skate on it. Not ordinarily anyway. You know, so there is that. I understand them saying, look, this is a terrible thing. But they've made such a news event out of this. Ultimately, shit happens. Doesn't it, though? And somebody who, who might hear this for the first time, they, they, they will inevitably get the wrong end of the stick here and say, Jesus, Paddy is a real heartless bastard. He isn't. He isn't. The first thing I thought when I heard that story this morning was, oh, Jesus, Christmas. Can you imagine the families having to put up with that? at Christmas. But the milking of it by the media and the police chief and the fire chief and press conferences and everything, you stop like. You know, it's newsworthy up to a point. But that's it, you know. And then in Jersey, a flat blew up. I don't know how it blew up. I don't know if they've uh, announced this yet. Maybe a gas leak. I don't know. And it's killed a few people, which is again a terrible thing. It's bad. Look though, shit happens. If none of us died, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Like, things happen, right? And I don't know these five people, so I'm not particularly put out by this story. Apart from my... I, I've just reminded myself to have a gas checked on, 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 on my own property. No, no joking. I'm not joking there when I say that. So, so, massive coverage of this. And the media broke off today. Both Sky and the BBC broke off from talking about the cost of living crisis to show a live feed outside an office in Jersey where police and fire officers and politicians were standing having a moment's silence for the five people who blew up in the house. I mean, what the fuck, right? Just mad stuff that's becoming normalised all the time. Crazy behaviour being normalised. Five people blew up in a house. Yeah, it's terrible. Jesus. But is it that newsworthy. No, it isn't. Get your gas checked on. Make sure you don't have any leaks. Don't end up like those lads in Jersey. Crazy. Uh, J.K. Rowling is founding and personally funding a new service for women survivors of sexual violence. I'm reading from the Times now. Launched days before Nicola Sturgeon's controversial gender recognition reform bill um, is expected to pass through the Scottish Parliament. Okay, so this this centre for the victims, for for women survivors of sexual violence, will be in Edinburgh, and it'll be for women only. So this is a direct. She's having a go there at Nicholas Sturgeon, J.K. Uh, Rowling, right? Sturgeon and this gender recognition reform bill is uh, is going to be big news this week. This gender recognition reform bill basically allows people to change the legal sex on their birth certificate just by making a declaration, what they call a statutory declaration. So a bloke, right, can say, right, I declare myself to be a woman. This is known as self-identification. You probably know this now. And by doing so, the legal sex on his birth certificate will be changed to female. Yeah. So in response to this, J.K. Rowling has placed in Edinburgh uh, a centre for women survivors, real women, of sexual violence. She believes those Rowling and many other women and women's rights groups that by allowing men to identify as women through a statutory declaration, 
She believes it will open up women's services and private spaces to abuse by predatory males. And I think they've got a point. That's just me. It's 16 minutes past the hour. You can join in with the programme. Do you know, ordinarily during the monologue, I bring you lots and lots of audio. Today, it was so depressing. It was basically drownings and houses blowing up and, and, and weather and just stop oil. It was slim pickings today. Uh, dear listener, I have a theory, right? I don't know if you um, agree. I don't think you will agree. It's just occurred to me. You know that Elon Musk is rolling out something called Twitter Blue right now. So if you've used Twitter in the past, you will have noticed that accounts of interest, like people with a public profile, in the past, Twitter granted them a blue tick to acknowledge that they do have a public profile. And also to let people know that the account is the genuine account of the famous or semi-famous person, right? So that's how it was. But now Musk is opening up Twitter Blue to anybody who will pay him a few bucks a month for the privilege. So it's an ongoing thing. I think it's $8 for most people. But I think it's like, is it 12 or $13 if you're using the, if you're using the iPhone to, to set up your Twitter blue. So everybody who wants to have a blue tick will be allowed to have a blue tick. And I've been thinking about this. I've been, I've been roundly mocked, and I don't mind. I love, I love a bit of banter. I've been roundly mocked for suggesting this. But um, I think Elon Musk could be a bit of a genius. Um, tongue is firmly in cheek here now because I don't believe that SpaceX is genius. Uh, I don't believe all that uh, Neuralink is genius. So let's say he's a genius now because I think... He's restored hundreds of thousands of banned accounts. It might be more than that. It might be seven figures, right? And after doing that, all these banned accounts that have suddenly been allowed back on, there's still many more who have not been allowed back on. And then he launches Twitter Blue. And I suppose many tens of thousands, if not more, of the now unbanned, right? They might spend a lot of money, maybe a couple of billion quid, to get their blue tick. And Musk will have recouped some of the money that he spent in buying Twitter. Not a lot of it, but some of it, right? And then Musk will ban them again. Or Twitter will ban them again. And Musk won't take the blame for it. I have a feeling that sometime in the future, Musk is going to a, to a point, uh, he will come under pressure by business. And I think he will appoint a company to be an independent arbitrator when it comes to who should be on Twitter and who shouldn't be, and Musk will wipe his hands of it. And all these people will be banned. And just like PayPal, when your PayPal account is closed, just as mine was twice, they don't return any of your money. Like, um, pay- PayPal never returned a penny of the money. that was, Thankfully, it wasn't much when, when, it was, when, it, when, it, when you were kicked off. So you might pay Musk $8 a month in advance, right? to have your blue tick every month. And then three days into the month, it'll be determined that something you tweeted was in violation of its policies, and then you get kicked out. But I see this happening. I, I really do. Am I, am I talking through my backside again? Again? Am I? Restoring hundreds of thousands of banned accounts, launching Twitter blue, getting a few quid, and then these people will ultimately be banned again next time there's a big crisis by way of a staged crisis, I mean. Your thoughts, please, richieallen.co.uk. It's comment live on the menu bar. My name is Richie Allen. 
I hope it's warmer where you are than it is where I am. In case I forget to do this, but I wasn't going to forget anyway, can I thank Mark Pajerski for his stellar efforts in supporting this programme, The Richie Allen Show and the independent media, um, sending the proceeds of e-book sales to the show and running a raffle. He's an amazing guy. Thanks to him, markbyerski.com, and to everybody who took part. I believe the man is in the UK at the moment, seeing his grandchildren, his grandchild, so he might not be listening to this, but a big thanks to him. And when you encounter him on YouTube or, or Facebook or somewhere else, please pass on my thanks. So t- thank him on my behalf. Uh, he knows I appreciate it, but but do it anyway, please. Thank you very much. Um, Jenny says, I've heard on the grapevine that the Irish government is planning to introduce a digital currency in July 2023. Does anyone know anything about this? 2023, Jenny. I don't know. But remember, it's it's been several years now since Cork, which is Ireland's second biggest city, Cork City, attempted to pretty much go entirely cashless. And that's a few years ago now. I wouldn't be surprised if you're on the right track there. I'll have to do a little bit of a digging into that. So I will. Another thing which has struck me, and it isn't new, because I've spoken to you about this, I've spoken with you, excuse me, about this before, and that is the the madness of UK television advertising, which is getting increasingly hysterical, isn't it? Pretty much every ad these days. Okay, let's not exaggerate. Let's say every two and three. And that's not a a controlled experiment now. That's just me and my observations. But every two and three featuring an interracial couple. And I tried to do a bit of research into this to find out how many couples in the UK are interracial. And I got figures between 5, 6 and 7%. It used to be a lot lower. Um, 10 years ago, it used to be like 3% of couples in the country were interracial, right? So uh, a black lady marrying or living with a white man or an Asian person living with somebody from, I don't know, from a Hispanic background, I don't know. You know what, interracial anyway. Incidentally, before I get called a a, a racist, yeah, it's always always one of those, isn't it? my, my, My cousin Anne, Anne Higgins, as she was then, many, many years ago, married a lovely black gentleman called Harvey. And I was the DJ at the wedding, very posh wedding, because Harvey and Anne were very successful people. Very successful. He had a beautiful wedding, like something from, I don't know, Hello Magazine or something. And um, nobody cared, you know that? Nobody cared that Anne was marrying this gentleman from London, this Irish girl was marrying a, a lad from London, a chap called Harvey. Nobody gave a damn. Honest to God, like. And I was, I, I suppose I could have been described as pretty woke back then. Because I was on the radio, you know, I fancied myself as a bit of a lefty. So at the wedding and at the afters of the wedding, I mean, I did the whole, I was at the wedding for the meal. The meal was amazing. I did the DJing and the drinking and all of that. I was there with a girl I was dating at the time called Rachel. It's many, many years ago now. Myself and Rachel were there and the two of us were kind of giggling away with one another, watching the older relations, you know, the uncles and the aunts, like to see whether they were putting on a brave face and if secretly they were a little bit shocked that that Anne from from Liz Duggan that she was marrying Harvey the black lad from from London but nobody gave a damn they didn't give it they just didn't give a damn all you could hear was lovely bloke that Harvey god he's very funny very interesting fella Jesse's done very well for himself lovely fella yeah well done Anne 
Ah, sure, they're off to London now, and nobody gave a damn, you see. But every time you turn on television now, it's it's one of them. And if you watch the news on the BBC, particularly on the BBC, as I do, and they run a Vox Pop. Now, a Vox Pop, Vox Populi. I did a lot of Vox Pops when I started out in radio. A Vox Pop is where you ask members of the public the same question. And you edit together the answers that they give you, usually for a minute or 90 seconds. You know, so the presenter in the studio says, we went out on the streets of Leeds today to find out what people really think of that statue of Brian Clough. Well, there wouldn't be a statue of Brian Clough in Leeds now. Of Don Revy, right? Or something like that. And then you ask everybody the same question. And I have this on very good authority because I've got several friends who still work at the BBC. One who works for Channel 4. One of my friends at the BBC will be retiring next year. Yes, he's a senior gentleman. And he's promised to come on the programme to talk about his experiences. But you know when they send a reporter out now to do a Vox Pop, right? So they say to a reporter, go out now on the streets of Nottingham and ask people the same question. Ask them, are they struggling now? Are they leaving themselves short of something because of the cost of living crisis? So you go up to everybody with a microphone and you say, are you making do without something that you need because of the cost of living crisis? And they'll give you an answer. And my mate told me, and he didn't have to tell me, I knew this was going on. They're telling reporters who do these Vox Pops to prioritise minority ethnic people or BAME people. They are. This is a fact. And you can see this when you watch the news. And it's the same on radio. If they're doing a, again, cost of living crisis thing, they'll bring somebody on who will have an accent. Increasingly. Honestly, it's, 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 it's so funny to see it and to hear it. And you wonder, are they telling these people why? Because a reporter with any guts would say, why do you want me to prioritise people from the Asian, you know, community? There's no such thing, really. Or, 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 or black people or people whose background might be in the Caribbean. Why do you want me to do that? They don't ask. They just go and do what they're told. So, yeah, it's quite funny. But the interracial couple thing on television advertising is ridiculous. It's farcical now. And I said today on social media, you could forgive somebody who's come to the country for for a week or two weeks, watches a bit of telly. You could forgive them if they imagined that the majority of people in the UK are in a mixed race or an interracial relationship. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's madness. Craig makes a brilliant point. A minute's silence for five unfortunates who died in a gas explosion. While countries like Yemen get regularly bombed with little or no recognition. But I suspect this isn't about the debt so much as it is about highlighting the dangers of gas, which our leaders want to ban. That's a good point, Craig. I'm not sure you're on the money there, but you might be. I, I don't know you're not on the money. That's a good point. But it's also about, it's very hard to persuade people of this for me, it's also a little bit about, uh, it's a little bit about keeping the vibration low. Stories like these, obsessing over the tragic deaths of three lads. God love them and keep them. And God love and keep their families. But obsessing over it, obsessing over the, the, the explosion in the flat. It's, I think, an attempt to keep people's vibration low, to keep people in a state of, Misery, even if it's subconsciously. Why do you think the news is just packed full of stories that are just, oh Jesus, you know? 
It's um, nearly time for our first guest. I'll be back with you in a moment. Don't go anywhere. It's Monday's Richie Allen Show. Cold, seasonal, flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defences been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximise the effect of each ingredient, giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RICHIEALLEN365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. Lovely. Right, it's 28 minutes past the hour. Let's have Jackie Wilson. And I get the sweetest feeling. Coming back with my first guest, her name is Ava. She's a really interesting lady. Don't miss her. Jackie Wilson, the sweetest feeling on Monday's Richie Allen Show. The time is 20 minutes to the top of the hour. Now, Martin from Edinburgh contacted the programme. He rang in on Thursday and he said to me, Richie, will you get somebody on the programme to talk about flat earth? So I'm a man of my word. I've done that. It'll be Wednesday. David Weiss, or Flat Earth Dave, has agreed to come on the programme. In fact, David reached out to me and he said, uh, Richie says, uh, some people have been in touch with me. I'm happy to come on and talk to you from the Flat Earth perspective. So yeah, so Dave will be on the programme with me on Wednesday. I'm looking forward to that. Now, during the um, Sunday show yesterday, uh, Ava got in touch, or Eva, she'll correct me now in a moment. I, I remember her phoning the phone-in show a year or so ago, and we had a great chat. And during the phone-in programme yesterday, excuse me, what's wrong with me, the Sunday music programme yesterday, we were talking about reading and stuff, and I was saying, I wonder about children these days, do they read as much? And Ava got in touch and she said, Richie, I took my iPad, I took the iPad away from my seven-year-old a few years ago. She'd become pretty difficult and was using it all the time. And she's become a different child since I took it away. We'll talk about that in a moment. And she also mentioned, did Ava, that she's homeschooling as well. uh, And that she hasn't had a television in the house for quite a while. Now... Uh, connectivity is difficult. We were, we were due to talk on Skype, so I've prepared for this because, do you know, I'm, I'm very good, me. <laughs> I've prepared for the inevitability that it might go wrong on Skype, so I'm going to call her telephone number. We're going to have a chat. Don't forget, Alex Mitchell will be on the programme a little bit later on this evening uh, talking about vaccine injury. Let's welcome back Ava to the programme. Ava, is it Ava or Eva? Correct me. It's Ava. It's Eva, so it's Eva. Yes. Ah, right, so I was wrong on both counts, so it's Eva. Hey, listen, thanks for coming on, by the way. It's nice to chat with you again. I do remember speaking with you on the phone and show. How are things in your house today? Are you cold? Are you freezing? Are you wrapped up well? Yeah, the Boston Night Shift on Monday's Richie Allen Show. Back to the comments. Angela says, the winter of 2010 was really cold. And I remember wearing my coat, hat and gloves in the studio where I worked. It happens. I'm old enough to remember the severe winter of 1963. It's nothing new. It's uh, not climate change. Thing is about this cold snap. I I do monitor the, the, the media, the 
obviously the national media mostly, the broadsheet papers and the national stations. There hasn't been a lot of climate change talk with respect to this particular cold snap, at least not that I've heard in any case. So, uh, yeah, that maybe, maybe there's something inter- interesting in that, no doubt about that. Um, they said it was minus 15 in Aberdeenshire, didn't they, overnight? I did hear that this morning on, on the radio. There was also a bit on the radio this morning that I kind of forgot to grab. It's funny, I mentioned earlier on about being audio light today. I normally bring an audio bank with me on air, stuff that I've picked up from the from the uh, TV and radio stations, but not a lot, well, nothing today, really. Um, but I did hear something on the, the BBC Radio 5 Wake Up to Money programme this morning. They had somebody on at the very end of the programme talking about how, it's funny, I didn't think of this a few minutes ago, uh, talking about how children will be encouraged more and more to use their smart devices for reading and for learning more and more. And I thought to myself, as I was out in the freezing cold with the canines, I thought, well, that fits in with the agendas we've been reading about, doesn't it? Uh, No doubt, no doubt about that. Uh, Stephen says, one thing new, I've noticed one thing that's pretty new in radio and television sports coverage, is their non-coverage of national anthems. On the radio, they step away while the anthem is sung. On the TV, the national anthem precedes coverage of the live game. This goes for both college and professional sports. Occasionally, an NHL hockey game will have the anthem on radio, but that is the only exception of note. Now, the World Cup games I saw, the television stations did focus on the anthems, and um, which which was pretty standard as far as as far as I understand it, Steve. But again, you, you might be right. You might very well be right. Um, let, let me scroll up, because I've missed a few comments there. Clifton came on. Now, Clifton is an old pal of mine from Waterford. Uh, how are you doing, Clifton? Hope all is well, pal. He says, Richie, the Irish government approved the white paper on Enterprise last week. I didn't see it myself, but thank you for the heads up. He says, you can read it on the government website. You can download the 72-page PDF. It mentions zero emissions transition to digitalization and AI. So a white paper from the Irish government on enterprise. For listeners who might not be familiar with the term white paper, it is basically, it is a government signalling its intention to legislate for this. So the white paper is pre-bill. So here's the white paper. This is what we intend to do. And then following the white paper, you get the bill which will go before the dole, and TDs or or members of Parliament will get to vote on that. So no surprise whatsoever that they mention zero emissions, transition to digitalisation, and AI, of course. The transition to digitalisation is, of course, the phasing out of cold, hard cash and coins and bringing in centralised digital currencies, CDCs, yes. Yes, where every single transaction will be monitored. But, of course, the most important thing, it isn't just the monitoring, is it, dear listener? The important thing about CDCs is that the issuer of the currency gets to create the rules around using the currency. It'll be a rules-based currency, obviously. So it's not just that every single transaction you do will be loggable, recordable, and, you know, filed away 
by the authorities in inverted commas but it's a rules based currency so it will be in a position the issuer of the currency to to determine what you can and cannot do with your own money you can't buy that um, bit of skirt you can't buy that bit of skirt and kidney you can't buy that bit of lamb's liver why not? Because you've exceeded your quota this month. That's not a joke, by the way. People think, when you talk about stuff like that, they say it's ridiculous, it's absolutely silly, it belongs in a science fiction movie. Do you honestly think, Richie, that the butcher is going to say no? Well, the answer is yes. The butcher will not be permitted to say yes. The butcher will not be permitted to ignore the message that flashes up on his or her screen. The butcher will simply have to say, I'm sorry, I can't sell you that. Because there will be penalties for the butcher. If the butcher says, ah, sod the uh, government, sod the local authorities, this will all be localised, by the way. Central government won't have anything to do with this. This will be run locally by local authorities. Local authorities will have the databases or the databases. They, they will have a carbon file on every citizen in every borough, in every highway and byway. And you will have an allowance. And that will be measured your allowance your allowance will be given to you just like your mother gave you a fiver at the weekend when you were a young boy if you were lucky I never got a fiver couple of pounds there you are couple of pounds that's your allowance then you go and you spend your allowance right and in the same way you will be given a carbon allowance this is what is this is what this is what can be fairly this is what we expect a fair carbon um allowance for for a 35-year-old man or a 25-year-old woman, this is the amount of CO2 we expect you to be creating. You shouldn't create any more than this. So what we'll do is we'll deduct it. Every time you do something, we'll deduct it from your allowance. Then what happens when you get to the end of your allowance? Well, confined to barracks, I suppose. You know? Does that sound ridiculous? It does sound ridiculous, doesn't it? But um, it's coming in. It's coming in. Okay. To those of you who can't wait to hear David Weiss on the show on Wednesday, I'm glad that 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 you're happy. But and you you, you won't want to hear this now. So maybe maybe turn down the radio for a couple of minutes because you won't like this. Why is it so important for you to keep hearing your beliefs? to keep hearing your opinions fed back to you time and time again. Echo chambers are not good things, are they? You see, I can speak with David Weiss and he, he comes across as a nice guy and I'm sure we'll have a very pleasant and interesting conversation on Wednesday. But I don't think the earth is flat, number one. Number two, I don't think in light of everything else that's going on, it's the most important thing in the world. But I, I get to have my say all the time on the programme. So it's about time we heard from somebody else. But to those of you who are absolutely convinced that the earth is flat, why are you excited about David Weiss coming on the programme on Wednesday? Why would you even listen to it? I don't understand you. I never will understand you as long as I live. And you'll never understand me. And we, we, I suppose we just have to say, that's life. Such is life. And we coexist, don't we? We'd never be friends, not in a million years. Because um, my mind's not made up on anything. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life listening to programmes 
or reading newspapers or watching YouTube videos um, telling me the things that I think are true in the first place. And that's all I'm going to say on that. But I'm really looking forward to speaking to David. He comes across as a lovely bloke. And I'll be doing a bit of research before that. And the way it's going to work on Wednesday is I'm going to put the uh, Earth is Round perspective from other people, from physicists and stuff, to David. And I'm going to shut up and David is going to tell me why he disagrees. And that's how it's going to go. I can't do it any other way because I'm not a scientist. I'd love a scientist to come on and argue with him and I could moderate it. That would be brilliant radio. You know, that's how it used to be. But um, sadly... They, they don't tend to want to come on and and speak with them um, with them um, with with people with whom they disagree i'm sure david would be delighted to the to debate a scientist he sounds right up for it uh, to me he sounds right up for that but they don't they don't do that sort of thing so they don't terrible dreadful clifton came back to say that the 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 white paper in in, in which 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 has emerged in ireland the government paper this digitalization AI and, you know, reducing the emissions, all of this sort of stuff, it's intended to happen before 2030. And Clifton, of course, this is the lockstep element of all of this, isn't it? Around the world, you know, unelected institutions are imposing this on, on nations and the citizens of those nations are not asking enough questions. They're not aware of the fact that NGOs like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation the Open Society Foundation, Soros and, and others, there's plenty more of them. These organisations are imposing this stuff around the world um, through their ownership of governments, particularly locally and universities and whatnot. So yeah, it's all due to come in around 2030, that's right. Absolutely. The window cleaner says, Richie, spare a thought for us window cleaners snowing this week and next week it's going to be bucketing it down. Is that right? I know it's supposed to get mild, a little bit milder on um, Sunday. That's right. This cold snap from the Arctic is due to um, move away and a more mild spell of weather is due to come in just before Christmas week. Thank God uh, for that. It's richieallen.co.uk. It's live comment. Looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, don't forget, in a few minutes' time, Alex Mitchell will be on the programme to talk about vaccine injuries. And I did notice this. And look, it's always been there. You know, the animosity for the unvaccinated coming from the vaccinated has always been there on social media. But lately, it's gotten very, very aggressive. Is that to do with stories in the broadcast media about shortages in hospitals? Is it to do with impending strikes by nurses and by ambulances? Is that what's going on there? People are under an awful lot of pressure and they're blaming unvaccinated people for taking up hospital beds. Is some of that going on? But as far as I understand, it isn't unvaccinated people that are turning up in hospitals complaining of respiratory illnesses. It isn't, to the best of my knowledge. And you're getting a lot of this on Twitter now, people saying, have your flu jab, crazy anti-vaxxers, have the flu jab, think of the NHS and all of that. And I think a lot of this is rooted, but I could be wrong, this is pure speculation. A lot of it is rooted in, I think a lot of the jabbed, those who, who had their COVID jabs, I think it is getting through to them that the mRNA COVID jabs are doing a colossal amount of damage to people. 
I mean, it's not just anecdotally anymore, is it? I mean, it's out there, right? And I think a lot of people who took the COVID jabs, because they were coerced into taking them, because they were pressured, because they were bullied by their local surgery, by the media, by politicians, bullied into doing the right thing for for the good of the government, excuse me, the good of the country and to save granny and granddad. And they did it. And at the time, they were screaming abuse at people like us who didn't have it. And they were taking the moral high ground. We're good citizens. We're good lefties. We're good liberals. We do the right thing for everybody else. And you're horrible people. You wouldn't have your jab. You're selfish people. And now I think it's dawning on them that the jabs are killing people. Not everybody, of course. Let me turn off this bloody computer. I have a laptop open on the side. I don't need it. There's five bloody computers here. But um, it's one of those old models. By old, I mean it's about five years old, but the fan is knackered in it now. You're not supposed to hear the fan, but you can hear the fan all the time. And I could hear it in the background. And now it's gone. It's gone now. It's absolutely gone. Lovely. I was wondering, I thought there was some noise on one of the channels. There isn't. There better not be noise on one of these channels. God damn it. There better not be noise. So Alex Mitchell in a moment. More of your comments too. It's richieallen.co.uk. I'll fit a phone in this week. David Weiss will be on the show on Wednesday. I'm looking forward to that. Lawrence Fox will be on the programme this week as well. From the Reclaim Party. The founder of it. You might be interested to know that. Should be an interesting conversation. Looking forward to that too. Busy old week. And we will undoubtedly this week get a phone in. To, uh, together. So one day this week we'll have another phone in. The phone ins, phone ins even have been absolutely brilliant of late. At least, uh, at least I think so. Eric Clapton. Yeah, from the soundtrack to the Color of Money, Eric Clapton. It's in the way that you use it. What do you make of this? Um, Ants has been on. How are you doing, Ants? He says, Richie, I'm a school governor, and I. I have I have asked to have the relationship and sex education policy at the school added to the agenda for tomorrow's meeting. This is very interesting now, dear listener. Ant is a school governor, right? And there is a meeting tomorrow and he wants to add to the agenda the relationship and sex education policy at the school. Ant, maybe you could come on and talk about this when this is all over. But um, he gives me an example of what they are currently teaching to nine-year-old children. Now, before I read this out, <clears throat> excuse me, I am mindful of the fact that nine-year-olds are a bit more streetwise than when I was nine. I was nine in 1983. Can you believe it? I was nine in 1983. Michael Jackson's Thriller released the previous year in 82, was still topping the album charts in 1983. Manchester United beat Brighton and Hove Albion 4-0 in the FA Cup final replay on a Thursday night in May 1983 with Brian Robson, Arnold Muren and I think Norman Whiteside scoring the goals. So it's a long time ago. But kids today are more streetwise, age nine, no doubt about that. They are being exposed to concepts, to ideas that we weren't. I mean, we knew a little bit when I was nine. You know, there was always one kid who had a book or something. But this is an example of what they are currently teaching to nine-year-olds, says Anth. Have a listen to this, right? It's um, 
It's kind of mad, really. This is on the curriculum. Nine-year-olds know what the important relationships in my life are. Know what a healthy relationship is and an unhealthy one. Know what love is and how we show love to one another. Know that people of the same sex can love each other and that this is okay. Know what puberty is, who goes through it and at what age. Know what body changes boys and girls go through at puberty. Know what kind of feelings come with puberty. Know what sexual feelings are. Know what wet... This is where it gets... I mean, it's bad enough so far. This is where it gets nasty, right? Know what wet dreams are. Know what masturbation is and that it is normal. Know how I can cope with different feelings and mood swings. Know what sex is. Know how families with same-sex parents have babies. Know what a new baby needs to keep it happy and healthy. Know how I can look after my body now I am going through puberty. Know how girls can manage menstruation or periods. Know who I can talk to and know where I can find safe information about puberty and sex. Yeah. You see, this is the reason. If we were to have been blessed with children, they would not be. They would not be going to school. They would be educated at home. And uh, on the cold weather, Isabel made a great point on the website, on the comment live, with cashless disappearing, how will you be able to help the rough sleeping man or woman who's down on his look? That's a good question. In fact, I was outside Tesco in Salford the other day and I did have a couple of pound coins in the wallet that were kind of there just for the trolleys because you put a pound into a trolley. There was a chap outside asking for money. So I gave him the two quid. I said, all I've got is two quid. And as I was walking away, the same thing occurred to me. In the future, what would you do? Would you tap? Would he have a phone maybe? Would you tap your telephone to his telephone? And in that instance then, would you be able to transfer him some money? Would it be allowed? If that's the case, would it be allowed? Would you be denied? I don't know. These are these are really interesting questions. It's two minutes past the hour. Back in a moment, Alex Mitchell is standing by. This is Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immune X365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to Immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two-day track delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at and you're very welcome back to the programme. It's lovely to be with you. Alex will be with me now in about 30 seconds time. If you've got a comment for Alex about anything we're talking about, please leave it on Comment Live. I am trying to keep an eye on the tweets, right? But I'm, I'm prioritising, if you don't mind, the, the, the uh, website. First of all, because it's the website and it's good for us to, to use. Jesus, I did it again. It's good for us. I knocked my mic off. It's good for us to... It's a big, long mixing desk here, and I put my elbow on the uh, off button for the mic. 
I'm an idiot. Um, yeah, it's good for you to use the website because it's good for me to get more people using the website. You know what I'm saying? So please do that. But hi to Sean Hinchcliffe. How are you, Sean? Who's listening? And he's on Twitter. He says his GP surgery has offered him six times. Six times he's been offered a flu and a COVID jab at the same time. Despite this, despite him telling them no, thanks but no thanks, they keep coming back to him. That's interesting, Sean. I received one and one only to say, come, blah, 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 and have your flu and your blah, blah, blah jab, and I just ignored it. But you can't do anything else other than ignore it, or, as you did, phone them up and tell them to leave you alone. But, um, interestingly enough, I had been invited to come and have a discussion about my reticence to have the flu jab and the COVID jab, but that that offer was um, rescinded. Isn't that interesting? Because I was going to go in and turn my phone, um, the recording device on my phone on and record my polite and pleasant conversation with the nurse who was going to persuade me why I was wrong to decline the flu and COVID jab. But then that offer was rescinded. They contacted me from reception and said, oh no, it, it's not necessary. Mm. I was looking forward to that encounter. Please do tell me why I, why I am wrong to turn down your very kind offer of the flu and the COVID jab. Look, vaccine injury is a big thing anyway. It always was, right? Not, it hasn't just become a big deal. Vaccine injury has been a big deal for a long time. It's been a, an ongoing battle for many years about the mRNA jab and the efficacy of it, the necessity of it, and whether it's doing harm or not. So it's not a new thing. But in the last year, or year and a half, it's it's become huge and and for obvious reasons, right? The government, the UK government and governments around the world offered to citizens mRNA jabs. Not all mRNA jabs. There was a conventional jab as well. I think the AstraZeneca jab was a conventional jab. But rolled out mRNA jabs, experimental jabs, um, medicines effectively. And the governments around the world said, look, these medicines, if you take them, will help you fight off COVID if you come into contact with COVID. They won't necessarily stop you contracting COVID-19, but it will lessen its impact on you. And they rolled out these jobs. And millions of people in, in the UK and hundreds of millions of people in Europe and beyond uh, took these jobs. Now, there is a reporting system in England, in, in the UK. It's called the Yellow Card Reporting System, where people go on the website, the government website, and if they choose, they can report an injury or something far more serious or a death. And it is believed that only 10% of, of injured people, only 10% of those who believe they are injured would ever report. Okay? Uh, one out of 10 might report an injury. And it's the same with the VAERS system in the United States of America. Now, the numbers on the yellow card reporting system and the VAERS re reporting system, they make pretty sinister reading. If you factor in this, only 1% are likely to make a complaint. And last week, in the House of Commons, the MP Andrew Bridgen, a Conservative Party MP, asked Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, at PMQs, he asked him to consider suspending the rollout of the COVID jabs. And one of the reasons he asked the Prime Minister to do this was because he said, Bridgen said, that the mRNA jabs, uh, there are reports, the reports of injuries and death vastly outweigh the reports of injuries from conventional jabs over a 50-year period. 
He said reports of deaths and adverse events for mRNA jabs in 18 months are far, far more than 50 years of conventional jabs. That's a startling statistic. Now, you may very well have uh, come across my guest uh, this hour because he um, took part in a very important documentary, which you may, may, may have seen, called Safe and Effective, A Second Opinion. It was made by Oracle Films. Let's welcome to the programme Alex Mitchell. Alex, lovely to, to meet you, by the way, and thanks for giving us your time today. How are you? Fine, I'm fine, Richie. Thank you. Thank you for, for asking to to speak to me. I really appreciate it. No, you're very welcome. I think it's important. Your your story will always be important, and it's something we should talk about, I think, often. Not just now, but next month and next year, because there, people are, injuries are being reported, Deaths are being reported. Strange deaths are happening. Doctors are going on to television programmes or news programmes like Sky News and saying things like, I've never known people to be as sick. And that's a quote from a GP called David Lloyd, um, who, who spends a lot of time on Sky News and also on the radio. And largely people are getting one side of the story. They're, they're being told that the COVID jabs are safe. They will protect you and they will protect your loved ones who have them. And they're not hearing that there is another side out there. I'm going to shut up. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us, I mean, your story began when you were born, but tell us about when you had the COVID jab, why you had it, and what happened after after that. Right. I'll go back to the first lockdown in 2020. They, they shut the whole country down, and it was 24-7 of don't hug your granny, don't kiss your granny. Keep six feet away from everyone. The pressure was there telling us that people were dying in the millions. They were showing us people dropping down dead in the street. So, like everyone else, when they said that you know they had these vaccines to, to stop this virus, <clears throat> to protect the NHS and save lives, you went and did the right thing. And I did what I thought was the right thing on the 20th of March 2021. On the 1st of April, I experienced calf issues at work. I'm a scaffolder, so pulling muscles was a regular occurrence. Didn't think too much of it, but over the next couple of days, really struggled. And then on Sunday, the 4th of April, <clears throat> I collapsed at home. My legs gave way, and I knew then I was in trouble. Unfortunately, I was upstairs at the time, and my wife was downstairs in the kitchen with the door closed. She didn't hear me falling. <clears throat> and I had to pull myself down the stairs, head first backwards, which made a bit of a noise. Uh, my wife came out, obviously clearly upset and distressed at what me lying upside down at the bottom of the stairs. And something told me to always remain calm. Something inside me told me I was in trouble and I had to stay calm. And I asked my wife to do two things. I asked her to get me a belt and to phone an ambulance. The belt, I've said before, there's too many... Audie Murphy movies and westerns, I suppose, because at that point I could feel something in my left calf. Rushed to the hospital. Uh, spent seven and a half hours in the hospital in theatre. Before I went into theatre, the lady said I had to go for a CT scan and I had to give my permission, which I did. The CT scan was still spinning and the lady was standing beside me and she said, we need to go for a, to a theatre and we need to go now. And obviously I said, how, is it bad? And she said, yeah. I said, how bad? She said, the worst kind. And all you can do at that point is, <clears throat> is say, do your best. That's all you can do. 
the worst get, kind, she said, Alex. The worst kind. Yes, she she told me. Uh, she basically told me I was in serious trouble. Did you know to the extent how much trouble you were in? Did you you know? Did you know not, what was coming? Not at that point. No, I didn't even know what had happened. I hadn't even made a connection. I just thought I'd collapse and something was going wrong. Um, and as she left me to give me some time to prepare for maybe not saying hello to anyone again um i was given my phone and i spoke to my wife and my two daughters basically to say cheerio um because they'd be taken into a private room and told that there was no hope because <clears throat> they had never seen anything like this they weren't giving up but they, they, they just didn't have any hope if i did survive it would be from the waist up from the waist up yeah, I spent seven and a half hours in surgery, having clots removed from my lower abdomen, my right leg and my left leg. They were doing this, both legs at the same time, because after four hours, they stopped counting clots, because I did ask how many clots there was at one point. And she said, multiple. And I'm very confused, because I'm still groggy from the anaesthetic. This is after seven and a half hours. And she's explained to me, you know, we've saved your, your abdomen and your right leg, but with a serious concern about your left leg, and it's most likely to be an amputation at this point. What do you do Don't when you hear that, Alex? When when somebody tells this is my one of my worst nightmares. Would you believe that? Honestly, it is. It's it's to hear that when somebody says to you, "We're going to have to consider taking your leg." How do you process that? You don't have. I've tried to answer that one. I'd love to say that you have clarity and you can think straight. You can't. Because every single thought you can imagine and ones that you probably don't imagine come into your head. Things like, I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to do this, this. And it's just all the things that you're never going to do. You don't. You can't really hold on to a thought for any prolonged period of time. It's, it just cascades into this mental carnage of all these things going on in your head. Um, the one thing I will say is that I think that when you've come, th you come through that seven and a half hours and they tell you, you know, our first words to me were, you shouldn't be here. We don't know how you're still here, but here you are and here we hope you stay. Um, so I shouldn't have survived the, the seven and a half hours to remove the clots. I did ask for a week in the hope that it was going to be possibly a below the knee operation. They gave me the week. I realised behind sight they didn't give me the week because I asked for it. They gave me the week because I shouldn't have survived the seven and a half hour surgery I'd just done. And there's no way that my body would have survived another three and a half, four hour surgery had an amputation. I think that's a reality. Um, a week later, I was scheduled for uh, an amputation in the hope that it would be a below-the-knee amputation. The vascular surgeon who amputated me, I call him my doc from Back to the Future because he's Doc, doc Brown. He's got the crazy hair, the big glasses. Go on. Wow. Um, he's, a, he's of French and Swiss descent, and he's the most caring, lovely man genuinely I've ever come across in the medical profession. 
he sat with me for hours and asked me why a below the knee was so important and I explained to him that not only was a scaffolder and it would allow me to do so much different as from an above the knee, but my passion in my previous life is I'm an old mod. I've been an old mod all my life. The old suited and booted and driving the old Vespas and Lambrettas, but I've always been a Vespa, a Vespa lad. And that's been my passion. I was always out my scooter. I've had a scooter all my life. Um, I've had God knows how many scooters over the years. And because he didn't quite get the, the culture to get my mobile phone, going to my Facebook show, my scooter rallies, going to where we've been in scooters, and he kind of got it. He said, why is this so important to you? I said, because this is my life. It's not just the clothes, the scooters, and the music. It's a way of life for me. It's about trying to be the best possible version of me that I can be at all times. And I've lived by that philosophy 40-odd years, because when I was 17, I made the decision to be a mod for life. And I don't see why I should change. So I don't see why I should change my attitude towards going on to my scooter. And his honest answer was he wasn't sure if I would be able to do it. It's not unheard of. You know... He was. He, he wasn't telling me anything I didn't want to grasp on. He was always honest with me, but in the most caring way. I met him a few months after when I was doing an, an outpatients visit. He was walking about the car park in the hospital, and I call him by his first name. So I shouted his first name out, and he's come over. I said, "What are you doing?" He says, "I have fifteen minutes spare in my lunch, and I'm thinking about a couple of cases I have this afternoon that are very difficult, and I want to make sure I do it right." That's the kind of level of dedication of this man. Both like, yeah. him and the vascular surgeon that saved me, they're the only two vas... I don't deal with anyone else vascular-wise, and I only deal with the, the world's leading haematologists. They confirmed that it was vaccine-related round about the day I was amputated, and on the 18th of... 17th or the 18th of uh, April when I left the hospital, eight days after being amputated... Um, it was in, confirmed in my paperwork that this was vaccine-related. It wasn't called VIT at that point. I hadn't been classified. I found out about four weeks after that that I was classed as a VIT, which is vaccine-induced thrombiotic thrombothenia. What that means is that in the, the VIT cases, what the vaccine has done, and it's primarily AstraZeneca vaccine, it does this. There's an antibody in your blood. You have your white cells, red cells, hemoglobin, plasma. If you go down a level, you've got antibodies and there's a plate, an antibody called platelet PF4 antibody and it's negative. It's such a small thing, but it's so vital. That's what keeps our blood the consistency. That is. If it's too thin, there's too much oxygen and you die. If it's too thick, you're not enough oxygen, you clot and you die. That's kind of how important this little thing is. And the vaccine has caused that PF4 antibody to become positive, which kind of means that your platelets are what makes the clots. So your platelet drops, your D-dimer gets elevated because you've got more clots in your system. And the only way that they can tell is they then do what's called a PF4 antibody check. And that's what determines what fit is. It's quite a complicated, horrible condition.
Um, in my case, I'm still 100% VIT positive and will be now for the rest of my life. What, because what, does, the, what does that mean then, um, Alex? Does that mean constant medication to correct this? Yes, uh, twice a day I've got to take thinners. Um, if I don't take them, I have probably 10 to 12 days because my system it goes into a perpetual clotting motion. My PF4 antibody is positive, so therefore it's never going to run out, which constantly makes clots, uh, platelets to drop to make the clots, which raises the D-dimer. At the, the very early stage, my platelet count was down to 43, and my D-dimer was in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, those have now settled now. My blood's as stable as they can get it, other than the PF4 antibody. Unfortunately, that causes other things. Uh, I have issues in my right eye with, we believe, well, it's, it's not been denied, so I'm accepting it now, that a clot has exploded in my eyeball and caused some damage in my sight. The sight damage is permanent, but there's no more further issues with the clot. I've had scans, and I'm having a further scan in January. Yeah, so it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's a lovely condition. Is I wouldn't wish it my worst enemy. Vaccine-induced thrombosis. Thrombosis, thrombothenia. Thrombothenia. Yeah. It's a mouthful. It took me about three weeks to learn to say it. <laughs> when? And it, it took me about three months to learn to understand it. To, to, well, I guess, yeah, I guess that you've done a lot of reading, obviously, since then. And when, yeah. when they say to you, these learned men and women, and they say, Alex, look, it's the vaccine. I know it sounds such a it sounds such a drab question, but it isn't. How do you feel about that? What 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 goes through your mind when they say the vaccine did that to you? At the beginning, I was told I was the first in the world to survive with the level of clots I had, and I was I was the first in the world to survive with this at the level it was. So therefore, you think I'm extremely rare. It's horrific. It's a tragedy. I could deal with it if it was just me to a certain extent. If I was a one-off in the world. But sadly in the UK there's 445 vets, of which 81 are sadly no longer with us. These, are, just these are claimed, these are these are re reports that we know of through the yellow card reporting system because obviously my next, one, one of the points I was going to make to you, you know, I have to do this because there are people listening who they will have been jabbed themselves and they will have sympathy for what happened to you but they'll say Richie Alex is an exception this I mean if 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 he wasn't you wouldn't be talking to him and where are all the other people around the country that have had such a horrific reaction as Alex has had that's what some people will inevitably say and I'm sure Alex on social media and by the way Alex is on uh, Twitter give him a follow on on, on, on Twitter if, if you're on there um, I'll link to him later on when I put the podcast of this up so give Alex a, a follow so to those who say dreadful Alex and yes yes, obviously the vaccine did do it but you're just incredibly unlucky what do you say to them? I say okay I accept that argument what have you put in place for those that's extremely unlucky? yeah and the answer is silence because there was nothing put in place which I can confirm, I can tell you for a fact that the sum total of preparation that the UK government has done 
for a COVID pandemic was add two words to a 1979 policy that wasn't fit for purpose. I've said this for 18 months and not one single government official or body has refuted that claim because it's not a claim, it's a fact. And have you been ignored by local representatives? Everyone. No one wants to know. No one wants to know. My MSP was very good in writing letters with regards to the vaccine damage payment scheme and trying to get some sort of a help there, which took a year and a bit. I was the first living person in the UK to be awarded £120,000. Sounds a fantastic amount of money, doesn't no, it? Isn't. Actually? It isn't. For a leg, and to be living with that for the rest of your life, of course it isn't. It's a joke, Alex. And nobody yeah. would disagree with that. It's a joke. It's... Can I ask you a few questions, right? It's 25 minutes past six. Alex Mitchell is on the line, and he's been detailing, Alex, how he, he lost his leg after being vaccinated against COVID-19 in um, in the spring, in the late winter, early spring of last year. So the thing I'm, I've been very interested in in the last couple of years is this whole thing about informed consent, which you'll do a better job of explaining to the listeners what it is because you've done so much looking into it. But for our listeners, I suppose the basic explanation is when a doctor or a nurse is, or, 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 or somebody else medically trained is going to administer a vaccine to a person, they, the person doing the vaccinating, must be sure that the person receiving it is giving informed consent to be jabbed. You know, that if I'm giving Alex a jab or he's giving me a jab, uh, we, we have to know that the person receiving it is fully understanding as to what it is, um, where it came from and what it's going to do. So let's talk about informed consent because this is obviously a big deal in, in your life. When you can... Yeah, go, jump right yeah. in, jump right in, go on. The, my informed consent was a sum total of verbal. You may have a sore sight arm for 48 hours and you may experience cold flu-like symptoms for 48 hours. That was the informed consent I got, not in a leaflet, it was verbal. Now, let's be honest, if informed consent explained that there was a likelihood chance of this being causing clots, because the MNA, the DNA vector that they used to drive this into people, they used 20 years ago, and it was causing clotting issues. So they've known for 20 years about the clotting issues. That wasn't in any informed consent. Amputation wasn't in any informed consent. Going blind in one eye wasn't on any informed consent. And VIT was certainly not mentioned in any informed consent. Informed consent is where you're told of the risk benefits to you. None of that was done. Now, that comes down to the government saying now, because we've looked at this angle, that that is the responsibility of the person doing the injection. It's only the responsibility of the person doing the injection if they have been given proper informed consent of what the, the, the issues possibly could be. And you don't think they were, or, or that they have been? The vaccinators, the persons putting the jabs in, they've not no. been given a clear picture of what the jab actually is? No, because they're, they're actually pulling people off the unemployment list and training them to be vaccinators. Yeah. 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 So, how, how, you know, someone off the street with who's a dental nurse that becomes you know, that does the training to, to give an injection, is not qualified to discuss clots, blindness, 
that are amputation. You know, so therefore it comes down, did they know? No, they didn't know, because they weren't informed of the possible issues. This goes all the way to the top. We keep going for people from the bottom up when we're looking out to sort things. Yeah, always. The problem is not from the bottom. I'm not wanting some lady who was earning an extra £20 on a Saturday to help pay her bills or some man. I'm not interested in some person who's doing what they thought was the right thing. I'm interested in person, the people at the top who we now know is nefarious. These people can't hide what they've done. You know, the UK Health Regulations Authority has openly said we're now enablers and not regulators. Yeah, that's right. And 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 on that, what what is your feeling then as to why they were so fast and loose with informed consent? And they weren't fast and loose. They just didn't. It wasn't an issue for them. I know that nothing is really binary choice. Nothing comes down to two possibilities. There are many, many facets to this. But um, is it just incompetence by elected officials or something a little bit more sinister? Does it come down to money? What, why do you think I, it happened like that? I think it's a combination of a, a lot of things. I think some people believe that they are doing the right thing and that the, these vaccines are saving more lives than, the, 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 than they're damaging. That's an, an opinion I'm quite happy to debate. If someone's prepared to get me verified data showing the lives that's saved, I'll discuss that with them all day because I can show the data of the life that it's not saving and it's damaging. There's a difference. I can show you that data. That's verified data. I've got death certificates from people that you know the coroners have put on it and the government are still fighting these people, not paying them out. This is the same regulations authority that's been under investigation, criminal investigation, for the last two years because there's been regular payments made to the UK Health Regulations Authority from Pfizer and AstraZeneca. All true. Don't no, nobody talks about that. No, don't expect me to jump in and contradict um, Alex there because it's yeah. all true. And June Rain of the MHRA did say when asked by a parliamentary select committee what does the MHRA do rather than say we robustly examine the medicines coming into this country to make sure they're safe she said we um, we, we basically um, provide access we provide yeah. access to pharmaceutical companies it's, I've never heard anything as preposterous in all my life I watched I, I, that live when it happened I've um, never heard anything as crazy as the UK Health Regulations Authority, 95% of its board, all of their funding, research and training over the last their career has been sponsored either by Pfizer or AstraZeneca. That's not made up. That's a fact. 86% of the, the, the organisation's funding comes from pharmaceutical companies. So therefore, they're not there in any way to protect the public. There's a serious conflict of interest there. Same in Australia, yeah. Same in many countries. Alex Mitchell is our guest. Alex, um, sorry, I'll just let me do a very quick uh, reminder and then I'll shut up and get out of your way. Alex has been, uh, he, he's featured, he, he's done a lot of interviews. He's also been in a, a very, very good film. I don't know if you've seen the film, but I recommend you check it out. You can watch it on social media. It'll be on BitChute, it'll be on um, brand new tube will be on I think it's still on YouTube it's safe and effective a second opinion it's very important particularly because at the moment they are really pushing these jabs hard and they're pushing boosters on people Alex was grievously injured by 
um, the AstraZeneca jab over a year ago and um, has lost the use. He's lost a leg. He's lost a leg because of it. He's he's more or less blind. He is blind in one eye. And uh, got to, can, can we talk about, just for a minute, I know you were going to say something else, but you'll get plenty of time to do that. Of course you will. Can we talk about that vaccine injury payment thing? Something yeah. that's, that is genuinely keeping me up at night. And it is, I swear to God, it, it really is. Isn't there some legal pathway for somebody like you to challenge? I mean, if you could get the money, if you could crowdfund it, or if, if, if lawyers were to donate their time. Because surely the waivers given to the pharmaceutical companies by the governments, where they indemnify them against prosecution, surely those are null and void. Surely those can be attacked in a court of law. You know, and that the I, door can be open. Sorry, come in, Alex. Come in on that. I can't go into too much detail, but there is class actions being raised at present, and they've all be, they are being processed. And they've all go through the the, the courts. Um, they're at a very early stage. That's for the VIC condition only. The reason for that, and no other reason, is that VIC is solely attributable to either AstraZeneca or Pfizer, but predominantly. AstraZeneca. So therefore, it's a classified, verified condition to only have been caused by either AstraZeneca or, vaccine, or the Pfizer vaccine. So there's a, there's a no-lose the argument with that one. So that's what we'll go through the, the trials first. In regards to the indemnity, now I have read all three indemnity contracts. I've read the AstraZeneca one, the Pfizer and the Moderna. And each of them, this is the government contract, clearly states the indemnity is only in place if the data, the safety data or the trial data is robust and adequate. That argument has been blown out of the water in every single case. Moderna doesn't get used here very much now. No. Because it causes problems. Pfizer, no, they try to, not Pfizer and the FDA tried to hide the data for 75 years and look how that turned out. We've seen the reports of that. There's 55,000 pages being released so far. And I know at least 2,000 researchers are looking through those pages and putting them all in the right place because they've all been mixed up. Of course they have. This is what they do when they drop documents. Yeah, of course they yeah. have. By the we way... The data is out the window. That nullifies their indemnity. As was Zeneca. Well, their indemnity was nullified before they even started because they don't have any safety data. There was none. There was none. Because they did two animal trials, got the Emergency Use Act in the UK and went straight ahead in the UK and issuing the, this test drug. Let me read the reason it. Sorry. They didn't do it in America because it, it failed the Emergency Use Act. It didn't get its license in America because the FDA rejected AstraZeneca on the data that they supplied as being outdated Incomplete and incorrect. That was the same day the UK government took and didn't do anything with it. Just went ahead and put it through any humans. And the media again. We, we always come back to the media. It's the media's job then to, to to never stop talking about that. And if the media does its job, somebody like yourself, Alex, will think twice before going and and having the job because you'll have heard it. If the media does its job properly and reports this and drags these guys on the CEOs, on to TV programmes and demands answers. Let me read a couple of comments, some very interesting comments and some questions for you as well. Sure. Isabel asks, Richie, could you please ask Alex, based on his own uh, terrible reaction to the uh, to the jab, 
What does he think about the COVID jobs being provided now to children as young as six months, as well as to pregnant women? And also his reaction when he hears of so many young athletes and teenage football players dropping down either very unwell or dropping down uh, dead. Yeah, they've approved it for six-month-old babies. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I'll start with the last point, which is six-month-old babies and upwards. As an adult, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I can't tell you do that. You're an adult. Do your own research, do your own thinking. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm telling you what goes wrong, what happens when it goes wrong. This is where you are. You're left abandoned. With regards to ch- children, that's a different story. As a parent, I've got a duty of care. And for every parent in this country and this world, three simple questions. One, can you supply the independently verified safety data for children? Two, will this government support my child for life should it go wrong? Three, will the pharmaceutical company support my child for life should it go wrong? Now, as a parent, you should ask those questions. And if the answer to any of them is no, you really should be thinking about what you're doing with your child. And worldwide, the answer right now to all three is no. It's an There's no need for this to be given to children. Children have a 0.2% chance of taking a reaction with this virus. They're 99.98% chance of not having a problem with it. They've got more than a 3% chance of having a reaction with these boosters, whatever you want to call them. There's more at risk from taking something that they don't need to protect them. There's, there's There's no verified reason for children to be given this unless they have serious underlying health conditions. So that's my stance on children. When I hear athletes and young people and some of the young ones, I, I come, you know, obviously you've mentioned Twitter, that's where I spend most of my time. And I come across thousands of people, not just in the UK. I'm in touch with people in Australia, Canada, um, America, Denmark. They're, they're, they're all over the world. And the number of young people that are coming down, being diagnosed with POTS, myocarditis, pyocarditis, trachea, is horrific. Now, I'm 58 this year. I don't know. You're a young man, but it looks at your picture, Richard. Give so over. You... 47. I look 67. But uh, no, I'm only yeah. 10 years younger than you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you're looking a lot younger than I am. I've had, I've had a few hits this last couple of years that took a bit of age off me. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. To say the least. <laughs> Sorry, where was I going there? I lost my train of thought. We're talking about young people and uh, yeah. athletes and, you know, you, you, so you started talking about all these incidences of myocarditis and pericarditis. That's where we were. I, I, I've been in very physically sports-wise all my life, whether it be boxing or martial arts. And scaffolding doesn't get much physical than that. And in my 58 years, I've maybe heard of three or four people under the age of 40 having problems with their hearts. I'm hearing this three or four times a day. And this is young lads, young girls, young physical with fit people, professional athletes. That's another story, professional athletes. Yeah, look, I'm not saying every single of the 1.5 million adverse effects reported to the yellow card. I'm not saying the 2,500, 2,740, I think it is, deaths are all attributable to these three vaccines. However, the question has to be asked. 
then what is causing it if it's not the vaccines? And why not suspend it? This is the thing. We talked on this show yeah. a few times over the years about rollouts in the 70s that were suspended when there were reports of a handful of deaths. They panicked. Well, we know yeah. These three vaccines have caused more deaths and injuries than every other medical vaccine procedure that's been put together in the last 50 years combined. That's right. That's, you know, it's not as if we're pulling stats out of our backsides and saying, look at this. So why do you think governments are reluctant to pull the plug on it? Is it because they think it's gone too far to save their own arses? So the best thing to do is to bury your head and just let it go on? Or, because I can't understand this, because if, if all things were equal and people were just people and they were not being pressured by external forces, if I was Rishi Sunak... I wouldn't be so worried about covering my own arse. I'd be worried about continuing to do damage. I'd be worried about making it worse for myself. So I'd be inclined to say, right, stop this fucking thing now. Stop it now. But we, we have to stop it and we have to investigate this. And I, I why? think, I, yeah, um, and I can come up with a couple of reasons. Money. The fact that they don't want to admit they're wrong. Yeah. The fact that they still believe that they're right, despite the evidence. I really don't know what the honest answer is. I do know that these people cannot say they're 100% safe and effective. No, they can't. Ah. Um, what, about those, what about those who go a step further? And by those, I don't mean me, because I don't know. I do wonder sometimes. But those who go a step further and say that there is something sinister going on here, more than we could even imagine, something that is so evil to be almost unimaginable for a decent person. Um, would it surprise me? No. Do I think that's the case? I can't give you an answer because I'm too busy fighting just trying to get help and support for this yeah, fight. Yeah. Um, the more I look at these things, the more dots you see pointed one way and the more you see that all the so-called conspiracy theories of the last four years, particularly the last two years, have all been proved to be pretty much correct. You know, do I want to believe it? No, I don't. I don't want it. I never thought a government could be this nefarious with its own people. I really didn't. And then coming from a so-called streetwide Glasgow lad, that's quite a statement. I always knew there was bent, you know, there was corruptness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never imagined it could be at this level. But we've now realised that these pharmaceutical companies, all of them, none of them are, you know, are, are honest companies. Every one of them... Pfizer and AstraZeneca are the two most fine companies in the world. And you know some of the things they've done over the years, Alex? I mean, long before um, COVID, I remember seeing, I don't think it's even on YouTube anymore, but the author, John Grisham, who writes all the legal thrillers, years and years and years ago, you're going back a long time now, he did, um, he did a, a reading of one of his books, you know, a few pages at a library, and I'm sure it was Grisham, so he was with somebody, he was with a publisher, and they talked about how these companies get their drugs passed. And I remember thinking to myself as, you know, I was a bit younger, 15 years ago probably, thinking I've never ever in my life heard anything so evil, you know. Doing your your, your trials for, for painkillers and for various drugs, doing them in the poorest places in the world, and paying people, say, 40 or 50 bucks, say, to take an abortion pill, for example you know, um, to trial, and you know, people who've got no money. 
And this is what they do. The worst of the worst. I mean, some of the most disgusting things I've ever heard about companies. And I remember thinking when they rolled out the COVID jobs, I remember thinking, these are the bastards that trial their drugs on in the third world and kill people and then bury that data, lie about it. You know, buy congressmen and women and women and senators. And uh, how the hell would you take? You know, and I, I was lucky to know that stuff. I'm not a brighter man. I'm not than you. I'm not a better man than you. God damn it, I'm not. I, I, I think I'm so lucky to learn about that stuff. To have, you know, there was no way I was going to take it. And and I think how unlucky you were, you know, for that to happen. I, These are the worst companies I, in the world. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that. Everyone, every decent human being has suffered horrifically over the last two years, including those that have said from the very beginning, there's something wrong with these, I'm not taking them. The mental stress that these people have been put through for not taking it, you know, I understand it because I get it from every angle. That's the, the probably the biggest problem we deal with is that we get it from the anti-vaxxers because we took a vaccine. We get it from the pro-vaxxers because we took a vaccine. We can't win. And it doesn't help that social media label me as misinformation. You know, that's the biggest kick in the bollocks, that one. They don't want to, you know, how can I be misinformation? You're just, arguing... just for reporting what happened to you, you were, you had tweets yeah, taken down. You were kicked off for a while, were you, off Twitter? Now, I've been kicked off twice. Um, once for reacting to someone. I'm a Scottish lad. I'm a scaffolder. <laughs> yeah. you, get, you get it as it comes. I know, and I don't always paint the nice. Yeah. And I knew I was getting, I knew I was getting suspended for that one, as I was calling them every type and every letter of the words, you know. As yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah, you can imagine. Um, being a scaffolder, that was better for him than me actually getting him by the throat. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've passed a few sweary scaffolders over the years, and I am I, I am prone to a bit of swearing, me being an Irish guy. But the but the misinformation stuff that has to to sting. And then again, that has to be very sinister when you think the lengths that social media companies went to to disappear any criticism, even from genuine people who had been officially terribly damaged by their jabs. They try and shut you down, and yeah, yeah, again, you have to wonder what's in it for them. Like advertising money, for sure, no doubt about that. But again, is there something else going on? Do you think while 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 I have you on this subject, do you think that the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter is anything to be optimistic about on that front? At the moment, yes, I'm being optimistic. I'm under no illusions. Elon Musk isn't in this for me. I'm nothing to Elon Musk, um, but if he's going to go with, we'll get some freedom of speech, we'll get some uncensorship, we'll get some unshadow banned, unrestricted, unthreat, you know, my tweets don't go anywhere now. I get restricted to some level. If they would just take that away and let me just tell my truth, I'll take it while I can. At some point that will change, because this is not my game, this is Elon's game. Now, I've reached out to every single person in the world on this that's got a name, and very few want to know. And that tells me more about the state of play than anything. Why are so many big people not prepared to stand up and say, 
we shouldn't look at this as a problem. I don't I'm not saying yeah. stop. I'm saying look at this as a problem. It's hard for me that because, you know, having, uh, like I've worked in the mainstream media, pretty much all bloody levels. I did the producing as well as the presenting. And yeah, it's pretty horrible that they'll go so far. You know, they'll they'll stand up for the civil liberties aspect. They'll say people shouldn't be coerced into taking them. They'll say that we shouldn't lock down. They'll say all that. Some of them, like talk radio. But they won't go the extra mile. And it's their job as journalists to go the extra mile. You know, you should be on Sky News. You should be on the BBC. You know, not not so much talking to me, but they won't. GB News, I believe, is doing something. I will never be on the BBC. That I will state publicly. These people have caused me so much trauma that I, I I know I couldn't sit with certain individuals. It's not safe for them and it's not safe for me. I'm not a violent person. But if certain individuals were within six feet of me, I'm going to tell you they've got low chance of fucking leaving the room. Excuse my language. No, no, no. Don't worry about the language. But of course you couldn't just sit there and allow them just lie. Of course you're going to react. I, I totally get that. I... You know, I could have a short fuse myself. Absolutely right. Like it's it's the knowing that they're lying. Like when yeah. when when Bridgen put it to Sunak, you know, Sunak said he's first. The first line of his answer was, "I believe these jobs to be safe and effective." I've interviewed a million people over the years. I've interviewed politicians, prime ministers. I've interviewed presidents. Um, you know, Irish presidents. I've interviewed prime ministers. British. I interviewed David Cameron when he was prime minister when I was on the radio in Spain. I, I, I've, I, I've, I've done it all with these people. I know when they know they're lying, and there were, there were, there were about three tells, Alex, the famous body language tells in Sunak yep. when he answered that question. He knows he's lying. He knows these are not safe, and they're certainly not effective by their own admission. They don't really do very much in terms of stopping people getting it, or, or stopping people from passing it on, or preventing them passing it on. That. Gurrier, as we say in Ireland, knows these things are not safe. Yeah. And the problem is that while they have the control of the mainstream media, because clearly they do, we are going to struggle to get support and help. And that is the bottom line. Now, you're right. Most people that this would happen to would like to crawl into a corner and disappear for the world. I'm no different than that aspect. I didn't set out a year and a half ago to be where I am now. I set a year and a half ago to try and get help and support and I'm still trying to get help and support. It's not just about the money. It's about the psychological side of it, the, the, the impacts that people don't see. You know, um, not just for me. I'm lucky. I'm medically recognised and the government has finally accepted it. There's no debate with me. There's no side rows. There's no argument. There's no debate. I just tell my truth. Other people are struggling to even just get acknowledged medically. And the trauma that that's doing with the gaslighting, which is the top of the social media pile on, we've lost seven people now to suicide. I can't take another suicide. It's not, it's not normal for people to prefer not to be here because society has just turned against them. It's bad enough feeling abandoned and ignored and denied by your own government. But when your own fellow peers, citizens do it to you and call you 
anti-vaxxer or conspiracy theorists. These people really need to take a good look in the mirror because it's comments like that that sometimes put people like myself in a place that they should never be. Do you think they're terrified, some of them, because they themselves have taken it and they maybe have come to understand that it might be a time bomb. It might not be, and please God, it won't be. Nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. I, and, but but it might. there might be that fear, you know, that it could be them, maybe. Of course there is, of, and, and, and I get that, and I totally understand it, and a bit of buyer's remorse, and a bit of anger that they've been conned. But the thing with anger, it's got to be directed in the right way. Don't direct it at another victim. Direct it at the people that's caused it. Direct it at the doctors that's it's gaslighting. And understand why people are... Because some people don't want to believe that a government would do this to, to its own people and deny them. But all we need to do is look at the last 50 years and go to the thalidomide scandal and work your way forward. There's clearly, this is cycle. It goes round in cycle. These people come out with products, push them, people get hurt and die, and they bugger off and leave people in a mess. It's time to stop that. You mentioned places like uh, Africa and things like that. You know, the Gates Foundation spent an awful lot of money doing a vaccine in Africa that really destroyed an awful lot of women, killed an awful lot of women, caused lots of fertility problems, That's and they right. shut the program down and buggered off. And in India. And, I'm sorry, I'll mention these people. Yeah, yeah. Also, We've got the connection that the Gates also gave £40 million pounds to the UK, uh, sorry, to AstraZeneca in helping them re, uh, researching into vaccines. That's not up for debate. Why are we giving someone who's got no medical experience any airplay? I wouldn't get that. If I go into the telly and say, don't take a vaccine, they're dangerous, I'll get sued, dragged into the station and all sorts. I'm not allowed to say things like that because I'm not a medical doctor, but somebody called Bill Gates, who's not a medical doctor, he's not even got a fucking degree in anything, come and tell the world about today. And do, know, do you know, he's been on the BBC a few times, and they've left him away with equating himself with medical professionals. He, he does that quite a lot. Um, doctors and, and people like myself, or, or he'll just say, you know, doctors, and he'll say, you know, like me, and medical experts, you know, like myself and the foundation, and they never stick, you know, hang on a second, you, you never get a, a BBC, or anybody really who says, hang on a second, you're not a medical expert, you're not, you're a software designer, that's about all you are. You, that's a very good point you make. Yeah. And not a good one either, yeah, let's let's not talk about the antitrust trials of the yeah. 1980s yeah, and 1990s, yeah. Alex, we've got, we've, we've got about 60 seconds tops left on this today. I want to just very quickly um, recommend that people follow you on Twitter. You've got thousands of followers there already, but go on and follow Alex. It's at A-K-E, so it's at Alpha Kilo Echo, A-K-E 2306, A-K-E 2306. I'll copy Alex in when I put the podcast online later. So we'll say 40 seconds. I'll give you the final word. And uh, listen, I'll be happy to speak to you again in the new year on these issues. So you're always welcome back, Alex. Oh, uh, much uh, no, mate, just thanks for sharing that. People need to hear that there's another side to these jabs that they need to consider before they make these decisions. Um, quick final word to you, and thanks for your time today. I'm honoured that you came on, I really am. No, I'm th- honoured that you asked me. Thank you very much for asking me. For those that that listened, I apologise for the Scottish accent going so fast at times. No um, 
where the Glasgow lads speak faster than normal, and I do try and slow it down to get passionate. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you to do your research. That's all you can do. And be good to each other. It doesn't take nothing. You enjoy the rest of your Monday, Alex. Um, we're 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 connected on social media. We're in touch anyway, and um, there there will be news going forward with with maybe please God class actions, but but still we'll keep in touch. And you're welcome back on any time. The door's wide open to you. Uh, again, thanks for your time today. Godspeed, pal. Talk soon. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Alex Mitchell, live on Monday's Richie Allen Show. And that's about it for the programme. Um, I've got to wrap it up there. Thanks so much to Alex for his time. At A-K-E, that's Alpha Kilo Echo, A-K-E 2306 on Twitter. Say hello to him on there if you do happen to use uh, Twitter. Thanks to him for his time. Shame we didn't get Eva or Eva. It's Eva on the programme earlier on because of the sound difficulties. I will make sure we work our way around that and we get her back on because what she's got to talk about is hugely important as well. So sorry we didn't do that. I'm going to love you and leave you with some Glenn Campbell. Yes, there's some Glenn Campbell in the playout system. Back with you tomorrow, Tuesday. Lawrence Fox is on the programme uh, tomorrow. And don't forget David Weiss, Flat Earth Dave will be on the programme on Wednesday talking about the Flat Earth Theory. And I'm really looking forward to that too. Have uh, a good rest of your Monday and look after yourselves and one another boy from me